I'm Janet Forrest, and this is Behind the Shelves. to your childhood. What is your first memory of your local library? I just remember probably like a lot of kids that eventually made their way into library sciences carrying home stacks of books. It was a real treat to be able to go and pick things out and I don't know how old I was but I do remember having my hands quite full and just coming home and devouring them and you know, waiting for the chance to go back again. I mean, my local library was such a fun place growing up. I'm from Medford, and I just remember going with, with my parents or my mom and just finding books. The children's section in particular was always such a fun place. Yeah, and I was such a book kid. I think that's really what made it important to me because I just love checking out books. And the first time I could read a chapter book, I was so excited about it. Well, I remember my babysitter taking us to the library every summer growing up and she would sign us up for summer reading and my brother and I read a ton of comics. We read like Tintin and Garfield. Like I just, I always think of it really fondly. I too remember feeling smitten with libraries when I was young, but I also recall feeling a certain amount of trepidation. My local library was so serious and quiet. I asked Leslie Malcolm, head of children's, how she remembers her first library experience. I do remember going, and I, and I remember being afraid. When I pressed a little harder, even those who have pleasant memories of visiting the library as a kid admitted there was a tone of austerity, a rigidness. It was like a very, almost a severe, space, I guess, like to walk in. It's so quiet. I remember my local library was wonderful, but it was a very stark kind of place, like metal shelving, very kind of barren in terms of, you know, the, the paint color. And um, it wasn't a place that you particularly, you know, enjoyed the aesthetic of. I think it was kind of a big place that was not terribly welcoming. You know, there's definitely that sort of, let's call it a meme of, the Shushing Librarian. But those were other libraries, in other places. Certainly my beloved Athenaeum was never like that. Surely, surely, our island library has always been the friendly community hub it is today, right? When I think back to when I first came to the island, I came in here to get a library card. I guess I was a sophomore in college here for the summer to work. My friend Peggy came with me. She was from Oklahoma, I was from New Jersey, and we got promptly kicked out. You don't live here, you can't have a card. My first sojourn on the island was way back in 1976. And so I did have a library card and I would go in, but I just remember going into the main area and yeah, it was kind of intimidating. It was what you did, it was a, you must be quiet kind of library. You know, no noise, no talking. Meanwhile, you've got people that have sort of, you know, are they're in the chairs, you know, looking at the newspaper and you get the feeling they kind of live in that chair. It's like their chair. I remember 
Miss Andrews was the librarian and you had to walk through the center doors straight to the back where nonfiction is, it was very quiet. You know, it seemed more maybe academic and I was, I was in intimidated by that. Um, and of course I lost a book that summer, which it wasn't too hard on me and I paid for it. I came to the library to do a project when I was probably in middle school with some friends. We were working on our project and the phone rang and I said, oh, if that's for me, I'm not here. And we all thought that was very funny. And the phone was for me. It was my mom and I had to go to the grocery store on my way home, pick up some groceries. And I was absolutely mortified. So, and the librarian was not pleased that the phone rang and she had to come get me. I do remember before I worked there, coming in to the adults side and trying to find a book that was new. I didn't know there was a section with new books, um, but one of the women that used to work there and she worked there for a long, long, long time, just slapped me around. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know where they're over here? The new books are right over here. I didn't know they had a special section for them and I just asked a simple question. Clearly, there's been a cultural shift. So what happened? Not just here at the Athenaeum, but to libraries in general. Liz Kelly, head of adult circulation, says it comes down to relaxing some of the restrictions. I think the services we offer and the way we approach welcoming people to library is very different. I know a lot of people have history of childhood memories with like the librarians were mean to them or they told them to be quiet or, <laughs> you know, all those kinds of things. And I think we've definitely moved away from that. I think a lot of libraries have realized that you should have, you know, rules and policies, but the the stricter and the more kind of hostile they are, you're basically telling the people that you want to come into your library that they're not welcome there. And I think that's really the biggest part is trying to accommodate people, trying to make sure that your policies are built for staff and for safety, but also not, you know, so harsh that people don't feel like they want to come in. Leslie in the children's department agrees. Somebody woke up and realized you want people in the library, you want customers, you want people using the library. It's free. It's customer service based now. And that's the way it's taught in library schools. Nobody leaves library school without understanding customer service and putting in a bunch of rules or having an attitude that doesn't help. Ann Scott, head librarian and executive director of the library, says that when you look back over the history of public libraries in the U.S., these institutions are coming full circle. So a lot of people will say to me, like, even if I get in a taxi cab somewhere in a city and the conversation comes up, like, what do you do? The question is always, wow, like libraries are changing so much or, or do you think libraries are still relevant? I think that libraries, if anything, public libraries have sort of gone back to their roots because we really began as institutions that brought people together under one roof to have conversation. I mean, before some libraries were even, even had materials, they had, you know, information about what was happening in the town. They had, it was a space where people could congregate and talk about the issues that mattered to them. And then somewhere along the way, public libraries became seen more as like, the keepers of information, like the gate you had to pass through the librarian who signed you and shushed you and 
made sure you stayed in line. And I think that was the real departure. And I feel like we're just coming back to this understanding that in many places we're the heart of our communities. If our staff remembers libraries as sanctuaries of silence filled with stern librarians, keeping everyone in line, maybe you do too. For those of you out there that have given up on public libraries, we'd like to clear up a few common myths and misperceptions and tear down some barriers of entry. Let's start with overdue books. There's probably a psychological study of this that like if you're a week overdue, your terror will cause you to be now two weeks overdue because you just can't psychologically make yourself bring in the quote late books and it just gets worse. This is Jim Borzilleri from the reference department. I remember back when I was a kid, they'd have those amnesties once a year where, okay, for one day or two days, you know, we will waive the horrific fine and I would find so many books. Please, for folks listening out there, we can tell you if someone else wants the books. And these days, it will automatically renew it for you if there is no hold. So you don't have to, you'll just get the email saying, we've renewed your book because no one wants it. But if someone does want it, you know, try and read it. We all have good aspirations, but don't take out 25 books if one of them is War and Peace and the other one is, you know, something by Karamazov and expect to get them done in two weeks. Now, on the other hand, if you lose a library book, Leslie, can you tell us what happens then? We try and work things out most of the time. I mean, even when people lose books, I'm hard pressed to charge them for it. In children's, I take a look at when we bought that book. And if we bought that book in 2004, no, it's time for us to buy a new copy. It was old to begin with. Just don't worry about it. I, especially if it's a kid that lost it and the parent sends them in and they're so nervous and shaking. I, you know, I, I know that feeling just like you do, and I do not want any child to ever feel that way. What about misplaced library cards? I frequently lost my library card when I was a kid, and it was not pretty. After I paid the replacement fee of a dollar, I was handed my new card along with a lecture and a good shaming. I was like you, I think I lost my library card more than I had it. There are other ways of identifying who you are. You don't have to have this piece of plastic that we gave you six years ago that you put through the wash and, you know, or the dog ate it, you know, we'll, we'll forgive you the 0. 0.0001 cent that it costs us to, uh, to use a new card we can handle. A library card is such an easy thing to produce. The fact that somebody would get upset that you lost yours is just silly. That being said, please try to bring your card with you. It expedites the checkout process, but still, not a big deal. So you've returned your books and replaced your library card, but what about the fines? The only thing scarier than overdue books and lost library cards is late fees. I can feel everyone's collective panic mounting. Do libraries charge interest? When does it get sent to collections? Will fees show up on my credit report? I think sometimes people feel that like, oh no, it's gonna be read at at church. And now here are the people that failed to pay their library fines and they have to stand up in a tone or something like that. Liz says most people drastically overestimate the seriousness of late fees. I've seen people be very worried about their overdue fines and they tell us, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I think I owe a dollar, maybe $2. If it's under a dollar, I'm not gonna tell you about it. And if it's like under $5, I'm probably just gonna wave it because I, I don't want to have to deal with telling this person that they have fines because it's so silly and I think it really does make people scared. For Anne, 
She worries late charges keep people from coming into the library at all. Even a library worker's sister, she brought something back or no, she didn't even bring it back. She had a late charge and she was so terrified as a child to bring back the item that she never brought it back. And not only that, then there was so much shame around not bringing it back, but she never came back to that library. She went to a different library. I just think that's sad. <laughs> let's get rid of, let's get rid of that pressure. I don't really know the history of when library fees started, but what I do know, like just from current research is that those fees don't really determine whether or not somebody brings their material back in general. And this is just, this is research done by a lot of libraries in a lot of different states, a lot of librarians that are trying to figure out whether or not we should do something about this because it is a barrier to access. You know, you're either a person who is late with your materials or you're on time. The only difference that a fee makes is that you feel shame around it, right? Or more shame. And it turns out the library staff are just as uncomfortable as you are about fees. It's my least favorite part of the job. I said that to a patron. Well, how come you didn't tell me last time I was in that I owed 30 cents? And I had had such a nice conversation with them. I, I just said, well, we were having such a nice time. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want you to get mad at me when I told you you owed 30 cents. Patrons and staff can both breathe a sigh of relief because at the moment, everyone is absolved of late fees. You know, during the pandemic, you know, one of the things that the Athenaeum did was to just suspend all of those late charges. And I was glad that we did it because I think what happens and what has I've always seen happen is that, you know, you don't lose any more materials than you typically would. It's not like materials are coming back extra late. We're still faced with replacing the same amount of materials and there's always going to be a charge for that. It's not a huge source of revenue for us, and it's a barrier. It's a barrier to access. I'm hoping that you know, during this time where we have temporarily suspended them, that there will be enough evidence to suggest that we really don't need to bring those late charges back. Lincoln, head of the reference department, has also observed that fees aren't necessarily producing the desired outcome. You know, I think we find that in, in our modern world that sometimes having penalties for everything where every single penalty is counted and observed, um, that, that doesn't make good citizens. Late fees don't make good library patrons. We realize that you do gain a better relationship with the people that utilize your services if you treat them in a way that isn't only about penalties. It's better for the library, it's better for the community to have no fines. Okay, let's recap. Don't fret about overdue materials, just bring them back. If you lost your library card, we're happy to issue a replacement free of charge. And rest easy knowing that any late charges you had have been forgiven. I hope that has encouraged you to come back inside the building. Since it may have been a while for some people, let's discuss how library etiquette has changed. You've probably been taught that whispering is the proper speaking volume. According to Pam McGrady in Adult Circulation, when it comes to shushing, the tables have really turned. There was a guy who was trying to read the paper at the newspaper section and he took out his cell phone and called the circ desk and asked us all to be quiet. 
<laughs> so that was that was funny. Laura Pless Freeman, also in adult circulation, acknowledges the same. Not the quietest library, but if anybody wants a quiet space, we usually try to send them upstairs to study at one of the tables up in reference in the Great Hall. Though you're not likely to get shushed by Lincoln up in reference either. You know, we allow people to talk because that's the way information is passed. It's also, we are that third space. We are that social setting for people in the community to come together. And when you see your neighbor, you can feel confident to walk into the room and walk up to them and give them a hug. Uh, the amount of hugs that we might be seeing as COVID changes and people come back into the library and see their neighbors that you know lived uh, a few blocks away again. I think that's important. It would be heartbreaking to stifle those hugs and tell people to be silent within the library. I, I think it's a great thing when people come in and they feel like they can talk and in a low voice, you know, of course, being considerate of their neighbors and other people that are within the room, but the need for absolute silence uh, within the hallowed halls of a library, I, I think is antiquated. Quick note, because of COVID, we ask that patrons refrain from hugging for the time being, but waving and fist bumps are totally fine. Now let's address the perceptions and misperceptions the public has about the folks who work at the library. When asked how they feel about their jobs, everyone on staff expressed a real sense of purpose in what they do. Jim says he and his colleagues don't just want to help you find what you're looking for. They want to empower you by demystifying the process. You know, I think in the past, people thought of librarians as sort of like this high priesthood or priestesshood, depending. You know, you would come and sort of genuflect and speak quietly because it's a library. And then they would somehow do their magic act behind the curtain and supply you with the information you needed. A lot of that is perception. I think librarians in the past were every bit as helpful as we are, but I think it's sort of changing that public perception. And I think moving that down a little ways that like, yeah, we're not this mysterious entity in this beautiful white, you know, almost religious shrine that you walk into. It's like, no, we're a place we can go and help you get information. We can't find everything and do everything, but we can certainly help somebody along the way. And I think being a place where someone can reach out and just say, I have no idea what I'm doing and I really need some help. We're willing to take the time to do that, whereas other places might have the information, but not the time to really one-on-one -on -one discuss something or take you through the process. We're learning as much as they are, but I think that's kind of a service that's not really a service. It's just something we provide every time someone comes in. When you do a display and people, it, it speaks to somebody and they want to talk to you about it, that feels good. It's a reciprocal thing. You know, it isn't just here you go and they walk away and they feel good. It, it makes you feel good too. It's a, it's a community thing. If this is what I can do for my community, then it's, it's my feel good place too. A huge assumption people still have about libraries is that our main business is books, which makes sense. When you walk around any library, you are surrounded by books. The fact is books take up a lot of space. I strongly encourage you to spend a little more time and look a little bit deeper next time you visit the library. You'll see there's so much more to discover. We have artwork to admire in the Great Hall. We have a 3D printer that's available for use. With your library card, you can check out our tabletop telescope or one of our Chromebooks. We have an entire department dedicated to programs that bring you exciting content such as concerts, lectures, and technology classes. 
all offered free of charge. Laura is a fan of our craft classes. I know Ellen and Liz used to do their book binding class, which it was amazing. And you could make a little book. I know that in the past I had done like an origami ornament around Christmas time just because I love origami. And, you know, we had, it seems strange now, but there were 10 or 12 people in the gallery. So that's, that's a good turnout. And that's what I think the Athenaeum is. If you're curious about anything, we've got a book, we've got a class, we've got a lecture. There's just going to be something that's going to interest you. Liz believes that libraries like the Athenaeum are a place to meet people and get assistance with practical everyday tasks. You can never pick up a book if you don't want to. It, there's plenty of other things to do and experience, especially um, with technology and, and our computer services and everything. It's always an, amazing to me just the simple things, what people are looking for and how much we help them, whether it's finding a job, trying to apply for something, forms online or, you know, the immigration process. There's a lot of things that are really difficult to do on your own. Being able to walk into a building and everything there is available to you without, you know, having to pay for a ticket or anything. It's pretty amazing. I think the fact that we're unique both in physical and practical purposes for what we're able to provide, I think that's really what makes us unique and why, like you said, when someone walks in the door, everybody's going to take in something different. Laura says the concept of a free library is new to some people. I've been just amazed that people who come from different countries, you know, they immediately take out their wallet and they're expecting to pay, you know, so much money. And I say, oh no, it's, you know, it's a free card. What do you mean it's free? Like they're expecting you have to leave like a credit card or, you know, no, no, it's free. And so they're happy. And then they say, well, how many books can you check out? And then I get to tell them, oh, you can check out 50 books. And that just floors them. We're very lucky to, to be able to offer a free library with 50 books you could check out for two weeks. It's an easy sell that way. But sometimes they still don't even believe me. And, they, and usually those people are the ones that will just get one book at a time because they can't believe it. Beyond the books, movies, reference materials, and programs, a large part of the Athenaeum's mission is to be a safe, comfortable place for anyone and everyone. We're just trying to be needed for everybody on the island. And I think we're trying to be useful or helpful to everybody on the island. You know, if we level the playing field a little bit, that's good. But yeah, you know, when someone comes in, there are no dumb questions. We do get to see all walks of life come through the door, probably because everything we have is available to anybody who wants it. And like you said, it doesn't really matter, you know, how much money you make or, you know, what your job is. Anybody that walks through the door is going to get the same level of service. Before the lockdown, I had a monthly teen advisory board, which mostly is just an opportunity for kids to come hang out at the library at night, get pizza and goof around and talk and talk about books a little bit, but also to, again, to have a safe harbor and have another adult that they feel safe with. As Anne said earlier, we're getting back to our roots as a library. And according to Leslie, we're living up to our name, the Nantucket Athenaeum. You know, when I explain to children, anybody know where the name, the word Athenaeum comes from? And usually it's fifth grade, they do Greek mythology. So the fifth graders all, oh, that's Athena. And they know right away. But the original concept for an Athenaeum was a place where people gathered to learn from great minds and speakers. They went to read, they went to share. Now we're more like an Athenaeum in that regard than we were 30 years ago. 
yeah, I know we're a public library and that's what we've sort of transformed into over the decades, but we're actually right now more of an Athenaeum than we were a while ago. Like any institution, there are always opportunities for growth. We know that. There's more work to do and more people to reach. Please let us know what we can do better. We want to know. This distance that we're, we're always going to be striving to fill for people that either don't think that reading was for, for them and therefore don't think libraries are for them. I think the, the one thing the library is, is trying to work towards is, is having more information out in other languages. One of the most positive things we could possibly do is, is to make our library far more inclusive and feel more inclusive because, you know, we, we can have the services out there, but until we can tell people about them efficiently and they are in a, in a spot in their lives where they want to get that information, you know, it, it's, it's going to be hard. But I think we want to do that work to get more and more people to utilize what we have within the library. And they don't, it doesn't have to be on our terms. It doesn't have to be, they read the books that are on our shelves. It can be that they utilize the, the movies or utilize the music or utilize the programming. We want the, what they get out of the library to be on their terms. We're charged with serving the entire community. And that's really hard to do. I mean, you can try and serve, you know, but you're always gonna miss somebody. Okay, we see the people we see, but who are we not seeing on the island? Are there people that for either, I won't say cultural reasons, it could be just that family's habit. They just don't think of going to the library. They just don't think of it as a potential resource. One thing we're constantly asking ourselves is who are we not reaching out to? We're the place where people feel safe to express a variety of opinions. And we strive, as we always have, to connect people to all kinds of resources that can help them lead better lives, whether that's becoming more informed or, or more inspired, even more entertained. You know, it just helps people li live a fuller life in whatever way makes sense to them. If you are someone who's been scolded by a librarian or experienced the crushing anxiety of an overdue book, we humbly ask you to give us another chance. Send us your non-readers and your technologically impaired. Send us your job seekers and visa applicants. Send us your crafters and art lovers. If you never thought libraries were for you, they are, all of you. And if you come in and don't find anything you like, tell us, show us, teach us. Because we are your local public library and we are here for you. Behind the Shelves is a production of the Nantucket Athenaeum. It was written, edited, and narrated by me, Janet Forrest. Special thanks to my colleagues featured in this episode. Anne Scott, Elizabeth Kelly, Jesse Dearborn, Leslie Malcolm, Katie DeHart, Lincoln Thurber, Jim Borzilleri, Laura Pless Friedman, Pam McGrady, and Ellen Young. The Nantucket Athenaeum is located at 1 India Street in Nantucket, Massachusetts, We'd love for you to come by and say hello. You can visit our website at nantucketathenaeum.org. Join me again next week when we take another look behind the shelves.